You're listening to the Dietitian Cafe RDTB podcast brought to you by Nualtra. My name is Neve Lilliman and I'm a second year student dietitian. As digitalisation is on the rise, our future as student dietitians is looking to be more and more technology based. In this episode, we will explore the telehealth field, including what it really is, the types of roles that there are for dietitians and the career opportunities that there may be for students once they graduate. To discuss all of this, we're joined today by Josie Porter and Hannah Pearman, who are registered dietitians, each with a variety of experience and who both currently work in the industry leading telehealth organisations. I'm really excited to welcome Josie and Hannah to the podcast today. I'll hand you over to them to tell us a bit about themselves. Hi, yeah, thank you. I am Josie. I'm a senior dietitian at a company called Simple. Uh, and I'm also a freelance dietitian at a private clinic called the Gut Health Clinic. Lovely. Thank you, Josie. How about yourself, Hannah? Um, my name's Hannah. I am a dietitian by background, but my job title at the moment is head of digital health services at a digital healthcare company called Lever Health. Um, it's a Danish company or our head office is Danish, but we have a, a small UK uh, uh, business here. Um, and yeah, it takes up a lot of my time. So I don't do anything other than this. Oh, it sounds like you both got really kind of busy, exciting careers that are really exciting to explore those further. So welcome to the podcast. Um, I'm really excited to get chatting today. So to start things off, um, telehealth is quite a new area, I suppose, that many listeners, they may wish to understand more about. So Josie and Hannah, you both work in telehealth, but from what I gather, you both do very, very different jobs. Um, so Hannah, you've worked for Lever Healthcare for a while. So could you tell me a little bit about your past and current roles there? Um, yeah, so I've been here for I'm getting on for two and a half years now. I started out in um, kind of an assistant managerial role. I've been a dietitian for a long time, but as longer than that, I've been a health coach and a and a nutritionist. So most of my working life, I have um, worked in the preventative space. So very much around health promotion, prevention of chronic diseases whether that's on individual or population level. Um, and so when I joined Lever, I'd already been working in digital health for a while. Um, so I've been very used to being a remote worker pre-pandemic, which um, it was quite nice watching everyone join me <laughs> and uh, welcome them to the kind of the joy of remote working. Um, but um, yeah, so I joined Lever in a kind of an assistant management position to oversee all of the health coaches that are working across the UK for Lever. Um, and then over the past couple of years, I have just in some way or another worked my way into different roles. Um, and so my current title means that I oversee all of our service provision across the UK. So we run a number of um, programs that are partnered with various providers, such as our biggest customer is the NHS um, and uh, NHS England. That is not NHS Scotland or the others. We forget that the UK is um, a lot bigger than England, but we currently cover the um, cover England. Um, and yeah, so as part of that, it that entails 
again still kind of managing coaches from from the the kind of background now i have a team of service managers that oversee them um and make sure that everyone's happy and working well and um everyone's uh yeah doing okay in their roles and then also on the flip side to that it's a lot around kind of program design program management um and uh yeah kind of it's an incredibly broad role and i think every time someone asks me what i'm doing it changes so um yeah it's really it's an exciting position to be in and there is no two days the same um and yeah i can't quite believe we're at the end of 2022 because i'm pretty sure it's still march in my head but you know that's <laughs> it's the life and the pace of kind of the, the the career that I'm in really um yeah you blink and it's um another year has gone so yeah it's quite interesting because I mean you're a dietitian but you have so much input in sort of strategy and and the business side of things and management um which is not often I suppose it's not a, I suppose a typical dietetic career is it so it's quite interesting seeing you've you've gone into that side of things and mm-hmm. um, so Josie you started at Simple recently and um, could you tell me a little bit about your role? Yeah sure so um, I'm one of the senior dietitians at Simple but well, I say one of um, I'm the senior dietitian at Simple I there is another dietitian um, that, that's the chief nutrition officer as well so a very small team um, but my role much like Hannah's is yeah really really varied it changes week on week day on day Uh, it's a real mix of different tasks to support the wider team really so that's really I guess more formally what my role is as being the first point of contact for different team members with any sort of nutrition related queries whether that's just double checking the language on like a creative piece coming up with some research to support like marketing or product features so yeah really varied um every day is very different lots of sort of random tasks thrown your way so yeah really varied role and uh that's within a small startup so we're called simple uh our sort of uh a wider company is called powder they also own some other apps as well so they have quite a big portfolio now including flow the period tracking app as well so yeah so really really great so we get lots of other apps that we get to work with and share knowledge with so yeah uh, that's who I work for and we are based in Cyprus uh, predominantly um, because we moved from Russia uh, but we do have a small base in London as well. Oh well so I didn't really comprehend that I suppose both of the companies you work for are international companies as well they're not just UK serving NHS or you know a UK app which is quite interesting because it shows that you can be a dietitian and work on a global scale um so that's really interesting and I imagine that every day is different I suppose for both of you it uses quite a varied knowledge base I suppose and you're constantly on keep keeping on your toes like all the different questions coming in so that sounds quite interesting Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so I suppose following on from this Josie are there any specific areas of your dietetics degree um that you find applies most to these roles or the role that you're doing now yeah, that's that's quite an interesting question. And I guess it uh, for this, my particular role, um, I think really the most important thing has been all the research that you do. So I think in terms of all of the sort of modules, sure, there's probably lots of them that apply. Um, but as science changes, you know, you end up sort of learning new things that are different from the modules maybe you learn at university. So I think 
the most important thing is research and being really on top of that um, and being open-minded as well when new research comes in because, um, yeah, I work with an intermittent fasting app, which actually maybe some dietitians wouldn't approve of. So I think it's good to be open-minded um, and being on top of the research really helps with that. And that's something that, yeah, I would have learned from university for sure. Yeah, I think it's that sort of topic. I know we had a module to be honest, it was so early on when we started and it was just evidence-informed practice and everyone was like, mm. what? What is this? And it was because it was just so much like, hey, it's a qualitative study, here's a systematic review and, and trying to learn that. And I think the more I go through it, um, the more I think, actually, yeah, that module is quite, quite important. I'm like, I'm going to brush over that, I think, because, it, you know, things do change. Um, you know, so yeah. that's that's quite interesting to, to hear that and maybe some listeners will probably think about going over that that area as well and I think to to add to that um that it's yes the you know those evidence-based practice modules that you would be studying is that you know we should only really be working from kind of gold standard based evidence and 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 you know nutrition as a as a science <laughs> is incredibly young and we know we all know that it's it's you know in the in the grand scheme of science nutrition is is a very young young area so we as we continue to um learn more about the human body and how it responds to um to certain nutrients or or whatever it is you know environmental situations etc and as the evidence does continue to uh, come out i think it's really part of our kind of our, our responsibility to make sure that we're sifting through it because often I don't know how um if you find this but certainly in my role it's kind of I become the voice of reason I think and you know I work alongside a very fast-paced and uh yeah again it's still very startup vibes and and everyone's really wanting to kind of roll out the latest thing um whether that's a um a feature on an app or whether that is around you know can we offer a service that is based upon you know the latest um uh dare i say diet approach um but yeah it's almost like taking your responsibility uh, or as a dietitian to be like no actually is this evidence-based and reviewing the evidence yourself but also taking that with a pinch of salt in that we're not going to get kind of rct level um, uh, based evidence on everything. So it's kind of using your professional judgment and your clinical judgment as to whether is it still safe? Is it going to work kind of thing? And I think, you know, a lot of what we work with now is kind of that real world evidence. And that's mm. something that's kind of coming up more and more. We're using it. And, you know, in, instead of in the absence of, of RCTs, it's kind of sitting there amongst um yeah, it's kind of try. We we are on the fringes and and the brink of you know the the kind of the new exciting stuff that comes along, and we get to test that out. And by performing real world evidence studies along mm. in what we're doing, it actually means that we get to be some of the the front runners in producing some of that evidence. So yeah, I think like keeping your science hats on is is <laughs> incredibly important. Um, mm. When you're surrounded by all these kind of product heads and kind of yeah. um, marketing and, and people that get very excited about the kind of like the selling of the thing. <laughs> and it's kind of like, no, 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 let's bring it back and just make sure that we're, we're safe. And um, yeah. yeah, I don't know if yeah. as well. Mm. Yeah, I think that's important. And I think also it's okay to not always have randomized control trials. Like 
there's lots of benefits to having you know observational trials as well so don't be afraid to use that data if it's there as well um yeah that's I guess something I'd add to that Mm. yeah it sounds you know it sounds like it's one of the kind of front front runners front runners that word yeah kind of the leading in all sort of the learning about what's new and I think sounds like digital health or telehealth is definitely the place for that um you need to stay ethical um and make sure that what what we're doing is safe I think particularly because social media as well and a lot of these you know if you I suppose if I was to type in a a health app or something I'd probably get a load of health apps that tell me some not very healthy things um and actually there may be an app there whether it's simple lever whatever um that actually is evidence-based and it's it's being able to make sure that you're not one of them apps that's or services Mm. that's actually going to be damaging to people so yeah that sounds really important it sounds like it's kind of a big part of the job yeah it's so important to have dietitians in these roles so um yeah absolutely as controversial as it might be on paper for some things I guess it's super important to be there making sure that it is evidence-based and it is safe yeah I mean it sounds like it's one of the safest ways to be you know I suppose if, if you're not if it's not directly in the nhs but it's something to do with how the product to do with health it just makes sense to have a dietitian there or a health healthcare professional of some form because otherwise it's like well who's actually judging whether it's safe is it someone who i don't know went on some diet 10 years ago and wow my life's amazing now or something um it sounds like it's the way to go and especially as technology is growing and it's more digitalized and everything it's sounds like it's a growing space for dietitians and other healthcare professionals actually and I think as well, um, it's kind of we end up becoming the the kind of like I think I've already said it like the voice of reason, all that kind of in between in that. Mm-hmm. Like again, I don't know about um, your company, but it had like our company has um, a, a research department which they'll be kind of looking through all of our our data and kind of trying to find. Um, or like produce some sort of paper and it can be that actually they almost want to go off on one tangent and it's almost like no bring it back is also because I think with with researchers um the individuals that we're working with can look like uh look like subjects and um then on the product side of things it can look like oh we just want someone to do this thing and like trying to get them to behave in a certain way whereas we almost become that in between of like not only are we the voice of reason and evidence based but actually trying to make it human as well i think um and just kind of being that that um yeah with with i mean everyone who is working in health tech is coming from some sort of either place of interest in health or or has some sort of scientific background so it's just yeah again we tend to be i don't know what it's like for you but it tends to be that i end up being that like the human element as well like don't forget there are actually people on the other side of our products um and our services because because it's not a face-to-face service and i think that comes across in a lot of telehealth and maybe more in like um if you're working kind of over like a zoom or something it can be still remain quite human whereas when you are like very app based like we are that it can feel like people are quite far removed from from you so yeah i think it's yeah dietitians we all have these skill sets that are really broad i think there's not one of us that 
can't talk to people that you know can't relate to people empathize but then still be that voice of reason that that kind of level-headed um science-led sensible safe uh, yeah person yeah that brings me quite nicely onto kind of my next question you kind of half answer actually um but i questions for both of you really um what skills have you had to acquire or develop further you know, if you've moved from the NHS or other role in, in roles in telehealth, you know, what, what skills have you had to, to develop on to do the roles that you're doing now? Yes, I guess in terms of skills, like there's maybe not one sort of skill that I can think of off the top of my head, but maybe just sort of like a mindset. You just need to change how you think about things. It's very different to sort of being in a clinic, working with people, like like you sort of say. Um, it's so, so very different. So you need to sort of change your mindset from sort of giving people working with patients, I guess, on you know a care plan. It's very different to that. You're sort of putting that into a product and working with you know lots of different teams, or at least in my role anyway. Uh, you know, working with like marketing, working with like what we call the growth team, or yeah, it can even be like user research. There's so many different people that you work with and it's just a completely different way of being a dietitian um at least in my role anyway so it's very different and it's getting yourself prepared for that and it's making the most of those skills that you, you learn at university and definitely in clinical practice anyway but being able to translate science but you're just doing it that extra application where you're putting it maybe in like a product feature um yeah i think that's one of the main skills i really had to learn along the way lovely hello what about yourself uh yeah i echo what jc's saying for sure um i think one of the yeah it's stepping out of your comfort zone i think again like where you're training to be a dietitian certainly in in the nhs um that you kind of you follow a certain plan or you follow a certain career pathway and um you know you do your acute you do your community and it's all these very familiar um environments that you might be working in but actually it's very much stepping outside of a comfort zone like you might be the only dietitian you might not have um uh, someone there to kind of um sense check stuff you you can kind of become your own your own boss quite quickly or being that that um that's that uh not satellite but yeah it's not going to be the same as it is working in a traditional dietitian role so in terms of skills it's kind of Certainly for me, the reason why I love working in digital health is because it is so fast paced. I really love working in an environment that is constantly changing. Um, and um, yeah, I like to be challenged. So like having something outside of the norm um, is been really refreshing. And because I've been in, in kind of health and well-being and nutrition for such a long time now, that it's kind of it's really nice to use your skills in a slightly different way and yeah i'm certainly not at the kind of like so client facing these days but actually i get to influence in a different way um and then i think certainly in my current role now i think this is the most that i've done <laughs> in terms of growth personal growth in in a fair while just because i've been really pushed outside my comfort zone you know so it's around things like using project management skills understanding what on earth like forecasting is and um like those kind of more like hard business skills that's never really come along with um you know working as a dietitian or a health coach or anything like that so it's been really yeah rewarding so you can yeah there are lots of skills that you can bring um working in this field but yeah 
being being up for something that's a bit dynamic is is um definitely uh, a skill to have i think um but yeah no i like yeah, that i completely I agree with that as well as i said i like the idea sorry i was a lag isn't that um i like the idea of having that open mindset because uh, you know I'm, I'm, i know my degree um or and actually in any dietetic degrees really um it's quite quite that classic nhs career focus um and there isn't you know because it's a dietetics degree i suppose not a business degree so there isn't that forecasting project management um but it's actually having an open mind to learning that and building on that as you go through is probably quite a quite a key skill to acquire throughout your career probably if that's the route you want to do yeah and I guess to add to that I was just going to um, agree actually yeah I think the fast paced part is something that is also a really good thing to be prepared for as well um, and like prioritizing as well so another skill that you sort of learn on placement at least anyway and, and university I guess but oh, yeah. yeah prioritization is super key <laughs> Yeah, I think as well, if you, I mean, I don't know about yourself, Josie, but I know that kind of you said about remote working. I think having that fast paced environment while you're working at home is probably quite key because otherwise, you know, it's might feel a bit slow. But if you're at home and it's exciting, you feel really part of it. And even if you're in your own little box room like me or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't think um, remote working and being bored really like they don't come as a pair and I no. think that's a, a, like a huge misconception that the um you know certainly not necessarily so much now but I mean obviously the pandemic's really helped us in in kind of opening up that way of working but it's like it's exactly the opposite I achieve far more much more at home um than I am when I am than I do when I'm in the office because I'm quite sociable and I quite like talking to people. And actually, if I'm kind of just stuck at home, I'm then like a little bit more focused. But I'd say on the on the kind of yeah, the the concern more is not about being bored; it's about knowing when to stop um, and just going right. Okay, I really need to log off. And I'd say that like having some that's probably another skill is being able to put your own boundaries in place um, and just you know finding the thing that's going to log you off, not feeling like you need to be constantly connected. And trust me, this is a work in progress. And I don't think I'll ever achieve the perfect balance. But um, but yeah, it can kind of feel quite hard to switch off sometimes um, because of the pace. And because we, if we are working internationally, you know, people are in different time zones. So you might be like an hour behind, like I'm an hour behind my Danish colleagues. So they've already done an hour's work by the time I've logged on. So I'm like catching up. And then, you know, we've got colleagues that are kind of based over in Malaysia and in the US and stuff like that. So it's kind of, if you're working that way, you, you're kind of, you, you could easily be switched on all day, 24 hours. So, yeah. I think that's quite important for students to, to think about as well you know that boundary setting it's important now I mean I spoke about in another podcast it's a very much a work in progress for me you know I was saying about I was, I was writing an essay on cardiovascular disease prevention and I was like I'm gonna go on the treadmill I didn't go on the treadmill because I didn't set any boundaries um so it definitely is something that you could learn in the degree as a student because you know I feel as that thing isn't there you've got your nine to five job and then your five to nine job so you just don't ever end up logging off so yeah setting those boundaries and learning how to do that during the degree would probably be really helpful wouldn't it so um in terms of work-life balance pay and benefits things like that obviously you know you don't have to discuss your personal ones um but I think it's a 
quite a key issue at the minute, particularly that conversation in healthcare. Um, you know, there's the cost of living crisis and, and things like that. And it's a big worry um, with people working in the NHS particularly. So would you say that in general, um, the you know, working in this telehealth or just, you know, private sector, is it more competitive than say like a public health, public sector dietitian role? I think it depends on the organisation. It depends on what role you do go into. I think um, it can be, it's never going to be as uh, clear as when you're in the NHS. The NHS is great because it gives you bands, it gives you career progression. You know that you're making progress. You know you're always going to get some form of a pay rise, even if it is tiny, you know, in and like there's that kind of safety of, of NHS working. And I think like um, there is, uh, yeah, there's so much to be said for that. You get a really decent pension, you get really good mat leave, like, you know, you get some really good benefits alongside of that. I think when you're working in, in telehealth or digital health or health tech or whatever we call it, it it's a bit more, um, not like the wild wild west kind of thing but like it's it could be anything so it depends on what uh, the company has benchmarked against it, whether it's like the cut the country standards especially if we're working internationally you know it could be what's important to the company um it could be that if it's an nhs provider it could be that actually you know they're limited by um by what the kind of funding's coming through from the nhs so it depends on the field, but my personal experience is that you get a whole range of different benefits. Um, it might not necessarily like be uh, a, again. It just depends on the company around the kind of like what your kind of pay might look like, and um, that's the, the good thing about it is that it's always up for negotiation. Whereas NHS isn't so much. So you can have that opportunity. It is very much based upon skills and experience. And, um, you know, you do have more opportunity for uh, pay reviews and, and et cetera. But yeah, the benefits that I get, like I get private healthcare insurance, which is controversial, I think, working in healthcare. But but yeah, and I really love it. I love that, um, that, that you kind of get slightly different benefits and perks and like the tech that you get is usually pretty nice because obviously working in house tech, they're not going to give you an old kind of uh, BBC computer sat in the corner of the the kind of room cupboard kind of thing. So it depends on what is important to you, I suppose. Um, but yeah, and also flexibility. That's a huge benefit, right? Like having um, not needing to be exactly at a certain point at a certain time of day, knowing full well that I can roll out and put on my three feet fleeces and no one really minds I'm still doing my job kind of thing that to me is a huge benefit as well so yeah yeah um I would just add to that really I think I would yeah say exactly the same thing as you there's so many benefits to it but it just depends what you want I guess um so I'm in a similar position where I get, yeah, like some benefits like healthcare, which you've just reminded me that I need to be making the most of. Um, but yeah, you know, nice computers, comfort of your own home, which is always nice at this sort of time of year. Um, although I have the option of going into the office as well. And, you know, the office is great. Uh, you know, uh, lots of perks in the office as well. So 
it depends and you know those perks will vary depending what company you're with as well so just things to look out for if you do interview for these places you know ask what else is available and so it helps you sort of weigh up that decision I guess and then in terms of like payment yeah I think that would just be so broad I know when I was looking around um, I saw all sorts of different things and it's quite hard sometimes to get the actual salary range off of um, employers too so that's one benefit of being in the NHS is that you kind of know what you're getting. I suppose it just depends doesn't it you know if you're mm. a graduate you know say my age 22 23 23 now like it my I think then um my you know what I might want might be different from a graduate who is 45 you know who has children and a mortgage and things like that so I suppose it is very different but it is good to hear you know the the variation like you say the, the flexibility because I think it's those sometimes it's those intangible kind of benefits that actually make the most difference and motivate you more sounds a bit psychological mm. now but yeah I think it is sometimes that they are sometimes just as important if not more sometimes than than the money side of things so definitely for graduates not to just like focus on that and and look around I think yeah, and I don't know about Josie, but I get to travel a bit with my job as well. Okay. So again, like one of the benefits of working for an international company is that they might want to send you places. So I think <laughs> I keep joking that I the only time I've left the country in the last three years is to go to Denmark repeatedly. Um, it's, it's kind of like, oh, Copenhagen again, great. Um, but, <laughs> you know, it's... it's um, it's, yeah, if you like that kind of thing, it can feel really nice you're like oh I'm working um but I'm on a plane or oh I'm working but I'm on a train and like you know you get that real kind of variety um and yeah again what Josie was saying about having a nice office space again most of these health tech organizations are um are startups and you know we like to have shiny spaces that are generally quite slick and um uh yeah so like i think we had some of our colleagues from one of our partners um they work for a not-for-profit over in birmingham and they came to visit our offices in london it was kind of like oh my god these are the fanciest toilets we've ever been in and you know it's a real contrast you know and like looking back at my career like where i spent time as a dietitian in a community centre in the middle of North London that was literally like the box room and kind of there was like grates on the window and things and you're like I've come very far in comparison um so yeah it's like yeah it's like you were saying Nave, that it's not necessarily about the kind of ben the tangible benefits but I would say that's still quite tangible yeah, yeah. definitely the environment you're in definitely Absolutely. yeah yeah yeah, I think that is interesting you're saying about travel as well. Um, you know, it's you, you can you can be anywhere and work anywhere, and if that's something that appeals to you, then that would be a benefit in itself, wouldn't it? Even if it's just, I don't know, you get an afternoon or an evening in Copenhagen or something. You know, if you've never been to Copenhagen before, well, there's your chance. So, definitely a, a positive of working in that area. Um, I mean, you've probably already highlighted it already, um, but I'd love to hear about the top thing that you love about your current roles at the minute in digital health uh, yeah I can I can answer first yeah <laughs> um so yeah I guess there's many things really um 
lots of things and some things might not be always the same for every person going into you know health tech I guess but one of them is definitely the diversity so just having so many different tasks I think when I was in the NHS I just felt like sometimes I was a bit on, on default especially being in clinic sometimes with similar sort of patients so it's so nice to just feel like I'm just something doing something different all the time which is quite nice and um, I'm just working with different people which you know you still get the NHS we're working in like a multidisciplinary team um I guess but it's kind of like that but it's just different which is so nice working with you know um lots of people and I and I like that actually there's that creative side as well so you can really be creative of what you're doing coming up with new solutions for people who are you know using the product and um, whether that's like you know coming up with like a different logic for a food tracker or coming up with like a different product feature to help people change their behavior um so yeah, it's it's uh there's some of the top things definitely. Um and then yeah, I think the other things are just how um flexible it is as well. I like how it fits in with sort of the, the things that I value. So being able to work from home sometimes as well. Um yeah, I think they're probably the top things for me really that I can think of. Yeah, absolutely. I think um the diversity in my position is something that I'd, I think I'd really struggled to go back to something that was the same thing day in, day out. Um, and I think, you know, I in all of my career choices that I've made, um, I've always uh, uh, needed something different. And um, I I joke with my boss how this is my kind of longest standing job. Um, and that's not because um, <laughs> it's not because I get fired all the time. It's literally, I will jump ship if I get bored kind of thing. Mm. This has been the one that has really helped me um, or like has challenged me enough to keep me here um, because I'm kind of one of those types of people that goes around and collects new skills or new tries new things. And I think you can, um, yeah, if you like to have um, variety and, you know, doesn't, don't necessarily want to kind of just stay in this one box of nutrition and dietetics, then yeah, health tech is definitely a place for you. No, I think I like the idea about that, that creativity side and, you know, not just doing the same thing day in, day out, because I think even though, you know, a lot of people probably like that and that regularity, have you remembered? Go for it. Yes, I remember. But I think the most satisfaction that I get now is having that influence on something that does like yeah there you are able to influence and create change which is I think one of that was one of my frustrations throughout my kind of public health life um is that change there is desire there but it is usually limited um by external factors such as mm-hmm. funding or you know red tape that we love um but but you know and there is you know definitely a place for <laughs> regulation and policy and procedure and i think <laughs> i'm now kind of championing that in my company <laughs> like it's so bizarre but um uh yeah i think it does mean that um like it could be that yeah some words that i wrote about something have ended up somewhere in the public space or like you know my some of our partners have like used something that i've created or 
um yeah or it goes into the app or you know and you actually get that kind of like oh okay i did that and that's really nice and i think that's something that i try and share as much as possible with my colleagues and certainly our health coaches some of whom are dietitians and just kind of making sure that they're involved as much as possible because yeah you get to you get to influence you get to make change quite quickly i suppose um which is really nice I suppose that's ultimately the role of a dietitian, isn't it? And I think it's probably, we think a lot about making a change, whether it's behaviour change in, in a consultation room, but actually it's so much more than that. And actually, even if you are doing a more strategy-based role or project management or whatever it is, you're still a dietitian, so you're still making change, but it just might not be, I suppose, to a patient, they might not see that directly but indirectly it's made the world of difference to them um so that sounds like it's a really nice nice place to be and very satisfying 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 yeah <laughs> so satisfactory both would work um so obviously the podcast is for students um so it would be really lovely to hear it sounds like it's a really growing space to be in um do you think there's going to be more future opportunities in in health tech um for student dietitians and what sort of roles might there be in the future for us? Um, yeah, I mean, I have no doubt that there will be more spaces opening up. Um, I, I think even in the space that I've been a dietitian, I've been seeing more and more sort of job spaces coming up for people. Um, you know, loads of different companies. Uh, so there's quite a few in the UK that, you know, work with the NHS, for example. And then there's others, you know, like um, the ones that we work for that aren't even in the UK uh, as such. So there's so many companies now that I think are starting to open up and I think as the demand goes for um demand comes I guess for having uh, really accessible healthcare that you can access from home we don't have to leave your house I think as that demand keeps sort of going up and as you know it becomes harder to get into the NHS I think there'll be definitely more roles coming up in health tech because it provides that solution for people who maybe don't want to leave the house or you know maybe are struggling to get appointments quickly so it's a solution for the NHS and it's a solution for you know patients or people that you know are wanting that care but I think, yeah, there'll be loads of spaces coming up, hopefully, in the next few years. And that's how it should be. Yeah, absolutely. Like, this is this is an industry that's not going away anywhere. I think it's, again, uh, it's unfortunately, but fortunately, the pandemic really opened up doors for, um, you know, it to become kind of standard healthcare. It's not just so much on the fringes, um, you know, a lot of the the prevention contracts that the NHS have now that are they're kind of they've changed their approach in that digital used to be the kind of secondary option, whereas now it's equal access. So, you know, they've acknowledged themselves. And again, that is huge in itself that our 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 National Health Service has acknowledged that you can have just as good healthcare digitally or over a telehealth. Um, uh, then you can that you can face to face and I think you know when you have something that changes systemically on that level then it's only going to start trickling through and yeah as Josie said there are companies that pop up all the time um you know I'm constantly being <laughs> targeted by by ads being like would you like to do this and I'm like no I work for a different company <laughs> like you know and it's kind of they're they're everywhere um and as as dietitians as student dietitians you could start working in it now you don't have to wait until you're qualified because there are roles certainly with kind of the 
the space that I work in, like I said, we work with lots of health coaches um, and our health coaches are anything from doctors to dietitians to nurses okay. to to uh, student dietitians to nutritionists. Um, you know, we really pride ourselves on the kind of quality of health coach that we have um, and most of our um, coaches will have come from some sort of science related background um, and healthcare related. Um, so yeah, we have a number of student dietitians that work for us because we work very flexibly. Our programs are delivered um, kind of, it, the buzzword is asynchronously, which is doesn't really mean very much to people, but it just means that it's, it means it's kind of more on demand rather than um, live scenarios. So it mm. just means that it's really convenient for the for the user, but it's also convenient for the coach themselves. So yes, you could get started now. You could wait until you graduate and see where if you want to fit it around other things. Um, but yeah, there are so many roles out there. I think if you just did a quick Google of, you know, health tech dietitian, you would definitely find something um, like straight away, like several options. So it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, uh, yeah, it's a really exciting space to be in and there's opportunity everywhere. No, it sounds really promising. And I think it's, it kind of, I suppose, reminds us students that use the resources around you, you know, for example, by listening to this podcast, they may actually go out and look and find themselves a job that might make a world of difference in their career once they graduate. Because um, I didn't know that actually about the health coaches. So that's very interesting. Um, but yeah, no, it sounds like it's a really promising space. And, you know, whether it's a bit more behind the scenes or a bit more, you know, patient facing, it sounds like there's a real variety there for, for students once they graduate um I think a common question among students is do I need to start my career as a band five in you know the NHS um Hannah if I start with you do you mm -hmm. think that students need to work in the NHS straight after graduating or do you think that you know people can actually go straight into you know a health tech role uh they don't need to start as a band five dietitian no um I mean it's always been a the uh, kind of I've always felt has been a bit of a, a controversy um, that my I never Definitely. wanted a band five position. Um, I kind of worked as a dietit dietetic assistant before um, before retraining as a dietitian. So I'd had lots of experience in the NHS, but I basically skipped a band by the time I went into the NHS as a dietitian. Um, just because I always wanted to, so my undergrad was in public health nutrition. So mm. again, it comes back to that population level health, um, which I was always really interested in. Um, so I kind of jumped strips, ship, let me try that again. I jumped ship straight away and, uh, and, and kind of went off into a more public health facing role. So no, you don't need to do band five positions yes it's it's a really solid career start i think it's really it's a really safe place for you to start your career as a dietitian in the terms that um that you know you do have a clear 
career progression and um, you know that you're going to be supervised, you know you're not going to be pushed beyond your boundaries um, and you know you're always going to have that real nice support network of all the dietitians around you, I think, and you've also got that opportunity for lots of variety, um, which I think maybe in hindsight, I maybe would have liked to have done, but I think like I was very clear at what I wanted to do at that time and kind of really um, wanted health promotion. So no, you don't have to do it. Yes, you can jump straight into health tech if you wanted to. I think if you wanted to get a really broad experience and, you know, I think my experience of NHS working has only helped me in my career. So I wouldn't necessarily say like, don't do it don't not do it, <laughs> um, get some experience beyond your your placements, whether that is as a DA or like, you know, whilst you're doing placements, which I don't think you can do. Um, but but yeah, um, like having NHS experience is really valuable. So um, yeah, I think it doesn't even have to be the NHS. It could be if you're in, in Ireland or, you know, wherever it could be, you know, that, 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 um, that, national health service experience is really important, but you don't have to do it, but it's good to do it. <laughs> I think that that makes sense. I think, I think, you know, the NHS, it does give you that exposure to a variety of conditions just to build your, your knowledge base really. Um, but it is, it is promising because it sounds like the, the space that dietitians can work in is getting broader and therefore the NHS isn't the only option. So for those who, you know, maybe they do want to work from home or, you know, whatever, it will travel a bit more, that actually there is other options for them and that their career won't necessarily be compromised, um, you know, or, or held back by by not doing it or not doing it for a, a long period of time. Um, Josie, what did you think? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And I've been asked that before by people, um, by students, actually, student dietitians. Um, yeah, and I think there's a lot of pressure to join the NHS. It's sort of maybe, you know, you might regret not doing it. And I think maybe even some more senior dietitians who've been in the NHS for a while might sort of have that opinion. But actually, I think there's no right or wrong way to start your career. If it's something that you feel passionate about, then it's the right choice, whether that's NHS or health tech or you know telehealth whatever it is that you feel like it's right for you um you know you can always change your career but, you know you're just at the start of your career as a student dietitian or a graduate dietitian so there's no pressure to make the perfect career choice straight away just try some things and see how you get on but there's no pressure to join the nhs i think do whatever you feel like's right and that could be the nhs but yeah it, it, it all depends on you know what you feel like the the job role is and whether that suits you but I think for me anyway joining the NHS first which is what I did that helped me gain the skills so I think apply for this job as I went into a senior position but yeah there's definitely other companies where you don't need to do that so I don't think you need to join the NHS either. Okay, okay. yeah no it sounds it, it it's it's quite reassuring to hear that I think because I know at unis, you know, students sometimes say like, oh, it's really sort of drilled into them about the NHS. And not that that's a bad thing necessarily, but when they think, yeah. oh, well, I might want to do this. And then knowing nothing about it, which is probably why, you know, I was quite keen to get this topic on the podcast to explore areas outside and, uh, you know, just to see, see what's out there, really. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think like, yeah, some of our younger dietitians that work for for us they are 
um, they're working as band fives or band sixes in the NHS part time and then, you know, doing other things outside. So like, again, it's that if you want variety, then you could always, I think most band five positions will come across as full time and like, but there is nothing stopping you from asking if it could be a part time role or whether you could job share or anything like that. So if you wanted to kind of dip your toes into life outside of the NHS, but still getting that kind of that solid foundation, then you could definitely still do both. I think, yeah, we've got a few of our dietitians that do that and or do like personal training on the side as well. And kind of like having all of these different um, different kind of elements in their toolkit, which is around kind of you know, health and well-being, and yeah, um, it's it, yeah, that is always an option as well. I imagine if you flip it on its head a little bit and think, actually, the things that you could, you know, if you did do a bit of a half and half job, if you applied what you'd learned in health tech to your role in the NHS, that could also value you, you know, make you better at your role there as well. Because if you can understand the what's going on in the back, you know in the behind the scenes because I know I mean my sister she's in the NHS um she's non-clinical she's in procurement um but I think having that knowledge of what's going on behind could really help someone in clinical so understanding both perspectives of it of it um strategy project management whatever it is because it still happens in the NHS doesn't it um so working health tech could also probably benefit an NHS role as well so it works both ways Hannah and Josie, it's been wonderful talking to you and hearing about your careers in telehealth. I'm sure you have really inspired our RD2B listeners and sparked an interest in many listeners to pursue such a forward-thinking career. It really goes to show the diversity of dietetics and that there is so much to get involved with in our future careers. Now, I will pass you over to Meg for some info to go on all things telehealth. Meg, it's over to you. Thanks, Neve. Hi everyone and welcome to Info2Go. I'm Meg and in this bite-sized segment I aim to engage with you, our listeners and fellow RD2Bs to share ideas, experiences and questions relating to all aspects of being a student dietitian. I'll also be sharing some tools and resources with you so that you can go on to further develop your knowledge after listening to the podcast and keep up with your continued professional development. In November's episode, when Neve talked to Katie and Zainab about the different experiences and journeys into dietetics that they had, then I asked you, the listeners, what your experiences of non-clinical or virtual placements were. It was great to have some responses back from you. One listener had a two-week placement in a prison where she gained some eye-opening experiences working with vulnerable groups of people and seeing the unique challenges that they faced. She loved the experience And as there are so few dietetic roles in prisons within the UK, it's definitely an opportunity that many students won't have had. So it's amazing that those sorts of placements are being made available. If you would like to learn more about what a dietitian's role in a prison is, I would really recommend following Fran, aka The Prison Dietitian, on Twitter and Instagram, as she shares a lot about her experiences. And she's also been on an episode of the Main Dietitian Cafe podcast, which I will link in the show notes if you'd like to give that a listen to. Another student had several one-day virtual placements as part of their course. However, they felt that they missed out on a lot of the learning by being virtual, sat at home listening to their placement providers, as opposed to being on a hospital ward, where they felt they're able to pick up on much more from your own observations and be able to learn from the other dietitians on the ward. 
I think it's great that universities are starting to incorporate these types of placements into their curriculum, but like anything, they aren't for everyone. And for some people, a more hands-on learning environment may work better. But by being virtual or non-clinical, it can give an insight into the different opportunities that are available outside of NHS ward work and are a great way to prepare our D2Bs for the different work environments that we could end up in the future, such as telehealth. So it's great to hear back from students that have been able to have some unique experiences as part of their course. So thank you so much to those students who messaged in. Although being at university and experiencing placements are great opportunities to learn and develop your skills, they may be stressful times too. So for this month's listener question, I would like to ask you what you do to look after your mental health and manage stress while studying, on placement or during exam season. I know my main way to de-stress is to exercise, so I always try and make time for it in some form of activity every day, whether it's going to a hockey training session or just a quick walk in the fresh air. Doing some form of movement always puts me in a much better and more focused headspace. So if you would like to share your top tips for looking after your mental health and managing stress at university, then I would love to hear from you and you can email newultrapodcast at hrscommunications.com and I will share your responses in a future episode of the podcast, which will hopefully help other RD2Bs in future. I'd also just like to say that if you are struggling with your mental health or are feeling really stressed and overwhelmed, then don't be afraid to reach out to your tutor or supervisor or your support services at your university as they are there to support you. I will also be sharing a link to the Mind website in the show notes as they share some great resources on how to look after yourself and others. This month's follow recommendations. If you would like to follow today's guests on social media, then you can find Josie at The Dietitian Method, where she shares daily tips, tasty recipes, and some really useful learning resources. And to follow the company that Hannah works for, Lever Healthcare, you can find them at Lever Healthcare on Twitter, where they share updates in their research, what their company are up to, and what their plans are for the future. I'd also recommend following Katie at Dietitian Digital on Instagram, where she shares how to market yourself as a dietitian online and where to start if you want to become a dietitian working in the digital field. Having your own digital presence is a great idea as a student as it allows you to network and make communications and connections with dietitians and RD2Bs that you wouldn't normally get a chance to interact with, which may open up opportunities in the future and can be a great way to learn or ask questions to people that you may have not have gotten to meet in person or that may have had different experiences to you. If you're already an RD2B on social media, then it would be great if you could comment on New Ultra's post that is advertising this episode so that other student dietitians can find you and connect with you too. This month's CPD opportunities are all about upskilling digitally. If you want to upskill yourself digitally or gain some basic skills in how to use technology or understand why technology is so intrinsic in today's world, then I would really recommend having a look at some of the courses that are available on FutureLearn. I'm currently doing a basic two-week digital skills course on FutureLearn and it's CPD accredited, free to do and only requires one hour a week to complete at any time that's suited to me and making it easy to fit into my busy schedule. I think with jobs in telehealth being on the rise 
and even NHS jobs and day-to-day life being so reliant on technology, having a better understanding of the digital world and how I can use it to my advantage is a great skill to learn. FutureLearn have courses on every topic that you can think of, run by some great universities and employers, so it's definitely worth worth checking out what other courses they have and seeing if there's one for you. Coming up in the next month, January is a month where people take time to reflect and make new changes, which is probably why schemes like Dry January and Veganuary are so popular in this month. Dry January is run by Alcohol Change UK and is all about raising awareness of the damaging effects of alcohol and what what you can gain by giving it up. But January is also National Love Your Liver Month, so it may be a good opportunity to learn more about the liver and what can damage it. The British Liver Trust provide lots of educational materials to support people on how to look after their livers and adapt their lifestyles. They also have some really useful resources that explain the different liver conditions, which I think are really useful too, and have helped develop my understanding of the differences between certain conditions. Veganuary also provides great opportunities to try more vegan foods and see what vegan alternatives are available. This may be a fun way of experimenting with new foods but will also be a really useful tool to have in the future. When you have a vegan patient, if you have an idea of what sorts of meals and snacks that they're able to have and what alternatives you could use to normal normal foods may be really helpful in your recommendations. Both the Veganuary website and the Vegan Society website have some great resources, including information on vegan sources of certain nutrients and details of which nutrients you may need to supplement as a vegan. They also include loads of recipe ideas and ways to tackle challenges such as going abroad as a vegan. For more information about anything that I've mentioned today, please check out the show notes. If you know of any exciting CPD opportunities for students that are coming up or are getting involved in any of the activities or events that I've mentioned, then I'd love to hear from you. And you can drop me an email at newultrapodcast at hrscommunications.com. And that's all the info to go for today's episode. So I'll hand back over to Neve in the main cafe. Thanks, Megan. They sound like some fantastic resources for our listeners to look into. I'm sure many current and potential RDU2Bs will really benefit by looking into these resources. I would like to say a huge thank you once again to New Altra for making this podcast possible. If you enjoyed listening to this episode of the Dietitian Cafe RD2B podcast, consider subscribing and leaving a review or five-star rating so that we can reach even more RD2Bs. You can also follow New Altra on social media at New Altra across all platforms to keep up to date with the podcast and to hear the latest updates on medical nutrition. Thank you for listening and our next episode will be out soon. 